Thank you for joining us for My Wildlife Style Radio, a podcast series for busy wildlife professionals like wildlife rehabilitators, educators, and veterinary staff. I am your host, Emily Davenport, and I am the founder and executive director for the Rocky Mountain Wildlife Alliance. Our mission is to elevate the care and protection of Rocky Mountain wildlife by fostering a sense of community and collaboration among wildlife professionals. Continuing education and training is an important component of our mission. Most wildlife professionals just don't have the time, especially this time of year, to continue their education by looking through journals or sitting for hours, watching training videos or going to classes. We have designed our content for the busy wildlife professional so you can learn while you're driving to your center or working at reports on your desk or walking your dog when you finally get home at the end of a long day. Rocky Mountain Wildlife Alliance provides continuing education classes both in person and online. In addition, we have created accompanying handouts and podcasts like this one that complement our classes and can be used internally with staff, volunteers, and interns. We evolved out of a clear need. We observed there was no easy, affordable, local way for wildlife rehabilitators or educators to participate in continuing education. It is this need that we are passionate about. Our long-term goal is to open a teaching and research wildlife rehabilitation center where we can provide hands-on learning and training on site to professionals, as well as be a resource for our local community, both our human and wildlife community. Our primary goal is to bring wildlife education, operational resources, and a professional support network to wildlife professionals. We believe helping wildlife rehabilitators and educators experience learning in their preferred format and at their own pace results in better educational outcomes. It is a part of our mission to help make continuing education more affordable and accessible so that more individuals can participate and become even more effective caregivers. Today, I am here with our guest, Jack Murphy, Humane Wildlife Control Operator. Jack Murphy is the co-founder and director of Urban Wildlife Rescue. He is an innovative expert with over 30 years of experience. He is also a Colorado State licensed wildlife rehabilitator. Jack is passionate about education, which is why he's here today, and has spoken about wildlife rehabilitation, wildlife first aid, and humane trapping methods, urban wildlife, and other humane solutions to wildlife problems. He has written humane solutions to wildlife problems, discussing species-specific humane methods of evicting an animal. His informational packets have been published in several local and national publications and are currently being used by numerous animal control agencies and humane organizations throughout the country. Urban Wildlife Rescue, located in Denver, Colorado, saves over 10,000 lives a year using their humane solutions to wildlife problems. They use various repellents, exclusion, and eviction techniques, which we'll talk about today. Urban Wildlife Rescue is a Colorado-based nonprofit organization. Urban Wildlife Rescue exists because of the generous efforts and dedications of its members and volunteers. So Jack, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it and always excited to talk to you about this sort of thing. Oh, well, thank you. Really glad to be here. And I have, uh, I just told you this before the interview, is I have also heard of you um, referred to as the grandfather of wildlife rehabilitation here in Colorado. 
You've been doing this a long time, haven't you? Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Since yeah. 1988. 1988. Yeah. Oh, man. So how did you, how did you start out? What, what got you into wildlife and well, rehab? Well, my and... wife, Penny, we both started it together. And um, uh, we, we were involved in a lot of animal activism in okay. general, just you know, domestic animals, farm animals, the whole bit. And um, some friends of ours actually had to leave town and we babysat their rehab facility while they were gone. Oh, wow. And we didn't really know rehab existed and it just kind of gave us a whole new perspective and that kind of got us sort of started. Very cool, very yeah. cool. That, that's, that's, I always love hearing about how people get into the field um, and how they get started. So first, we should probably define what nuisance wildlife is and what a nuisance wildlife control operator or a humane wildlife control operator is. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, uh, well, nuisance wildlife, it's, it's a very kind of a, a term like one person's nuisance would be another person's not a nuisance, you know, that type of thing. And so basically an animal that is causing a problem for somebody. So for instance, um, you know, to me, like if you have an animal living in your house, like I tell people, that I believe in coexisting with wildlife but not cohabitating. Sure. So if they're in the backyard, eh, it's nothing to be concerned about, maybe. But uh, if they're living in the attic, living in the chimney, living in the crawl space, then in the backyard, if they're living under the shed, under the deck, you know, things like that. And they could be termed as nuisance wildlife. Okay. And then, um, you know, uh, you wanted to, what, what a humane wildlife control operator yeah. is? Yeah. Yeah, that would be solving the problem in a way that's okay. the least stressful for the animal as possible. Okay. And so you, you kind of help them, um, the property owner and the wildlife kind of coexist together. Um, as far as long as they're like not in the home or in right. the attic or under the porch yeah, or something probably like that. ninety percent of my phone calls uh, require education. Sure. So oh, it's yeah. very rare that uh, like my wife used to tell me I was really good at talking myself out of work, <laughs> and I don't do it because I don't like work. Because I do love to work, but the thing is, is I'm not going to rip somebody off and go out when they don't have to. Sure. And most of the time, or I shouldn't say well, yeah, probably ninety percent of the time, people perceive they have a problem. But once they realize what's going on, they don't have a problem. Okay, so yeah, what would be like a good example of like a, a problem they think they might have? Well, but... the one that I always use is like when people will call me up and go, uh, we just moved into a new house and there's a fox in our neighborhood and we have oh, children. Oh, gotcha. And so right away they think the, the fox is going to kill the dog, eat the children, you know, the whole bit. And once I educate them and let them know that, no, the fox is going to take care of your mouse problem and it's not going to hurt anybody, you know, and all this stuff. You mellow them out and they go, oh, okay. And that's the end of that. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. It really is a huge part of what any wildlife professional does is education, isn't right. it? Right. It really is. A lot of people really don't know that much about wildlife. All right. So, so you are the guy that people call when they perceive they have a problem with wildlife then. Right. Perfect. So a lot of professionals, a lot of wildlife control operators um, claim they use humane methods. I know you and I have talked about this in the past. Um, but again, I guess I kind of just want to define what humane is and what really makes a wildlife control operator humane and what can we do um, you know, to help educate everybody about who is truly humane and who is not. Yeah, humane is a word that's kind of been thrown around. Like I go to a lot of meetings with a lot of the wildlife control operators mm -hmm. and they all think they're humane. I even had one guy that was telling me, uh, year, and this was back 10 years ago, he said he was humane uh, uh, because like, if he has a small mammal in a trap, he rather than CO2 him in a CO2 chamber, he'll just reach in there with a glove, grab the animal and squash their head against the bumper right. of the truck. And he considered that humane. Well, you know, so that's why I say humane is like a relative term. Um, to me, like there's no such thing as humane trapping. 
Gotcha. So any operator that says, I trap and relocate, well, basically you're killing the animal, you're just not doing it directly. Uh, there's different figures on different animals. Studies that have been done, there was a study done with squirrels and the survival rate is about 3% of a relocated squirrel. A raccoon is about 18%. Fox coyote, less than 5%. And so when you relocate an animal, you're not doing him any favors. And so uh, as a humane operator, what I try and do is basically get the animal to leave without trapping or relocating it. I let them relocate themselves. Gotcha. So. All right. That's pretty cool. So what can we do then um, as individuals, as professionals, or as property owners, if we have to call somebody like you, how can we be sure they're using truly humane methods? That's really tough. We're actually working on that right now with a group of people trying to come up with a list of humane operators. As far as I know, I'm the only one in the state that, yeah, that does so you know, humane wildlife control. And there's only a handful of us in the country at this point. We are finding new people, but it's a really slow process. But you know, for the average homeowner, if you're hiring somebody, <clears throat> for the most part, you can tell them what you want them to do. You know, I've had people call me from all over the country uh, with the group Animal Help Now. Yeah. I'm listed for anybody that's got a problem in the country. Me and a girl in Florida both will help anybody that has a problem. And I've had several people call me. They've got no humane wildlife control operators in their area. Sure. But the trappers do know what one-way doors are. Okay. And so I will tell them, like if you're going to hire somebody, tell them do not trap the squirrels that are in your attic. Use a one-way door. And if this guy you're talking to doesn't know what a one-way door is, he's not your guy. They should know what a one-way door is. That's a, a, that's lot a of good the, that's A lot of the advice. trappers will say the one-way doors don't work. They'll try and talk you out of it. But like one of the trappers one time told me, he says, I know the one-way doors work, but I make a lot more money if I trap. So it all boils down to money. The one-way oh doors work just fine. Yeah, yeah all right, so. great. And we'll talk more about one-way doors later too. Okay. I'm excited to get to some of your methods. All right, so, so we talked a little bit about what makes a wildlife control operator humane. Um, we talked a little bit about humane methods. We'll get into that um, in a little more detail in a few minutes. But um, I oftentimes like to talk about prevention. Prevention is really key to, you know, as far as human wildlife conflicts go. So sure. I always love using the term, um, it's better to be proactive than reactive to a problem. And that's certainly the case when it comes to human wildlife conflicts. So um, what can homeowners do to protect their home from unwanted guests before it becomes a problem or a perceived problem? Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of things people can do. Uh, matter of fact, I've had customers over the years that move, and when they move into a new house, they call me up and want me to come out and animal-proof it before hmm. they even move in. And <clears throat> the way I use it, I always say it's easier to keep them out than to get them out. Yeah. You know, and so... Um, Things to do as far as the structure of the house goes, you know, make sure the door is closed tight. They have weather stripping under them so mice can't go under doors. Any holes in the foundation should be sealed up. Uh, on the roof, uh, depending on the kind of roof fence, there are certain kinds of roof fence that squirrels like to go through. Uh, if it has a fan vent, uh, it's like a big vent with a fan mm -hmm. that keeps mm -hmm. the attic cool. Uh, sometimes raccoons can go through those. They don't even have screen in them. And the louvered vents on the side of the house, uh, they have louvered vents. Uh, a lot of times those are made out of real thin sheet metal. Raccoons just rip them right out and move right in. And so uh, anything like that can be done. <clears throat> as far as the yard goes, um, they can do things like uh, animal proofing a deck or a concrete slab, uh, digging a little trench and burying wire down like in an L shape. So for instance, concrete. Um, in our in Colorado, we have bentonite soil, so a lot of times mm -hmm. the soil drops, you have hollow spots under the concrete, especially along the foundation. 
And so that's a favorite spot for rabbits, skunks, and foxes. Gotcha. And so what you can do is dig a little trench. Usually, you know, if you really want to do it right, go down about 10 or 12 inches and out about a foot and then bury wire and bury it down eight or 10 inches and out a foot and, uh, you know, put the dirt back in. You won't even see it really. And that'll keep animals from burrowing under concrete. You can do it with decks. I go from the deck down into the ground a few inches and come out. Uh, same thing with sheds. You can do that. They're the kind of places that animals would like to live in. Okay. Yeah. You, you can probably see me looking up and thinking about all the things you're saying because um, in the home, that, the home that I grew up in, um, we constantly had a problem with mice. Um, right. we, we used to have bird feeders, so we finally did away with our bird feeders, um, but we still had a mouse problem. And now I, I believe my parents still have a rabbit problem. And so all these things you're saying, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes perfect sense. Um, you know, it's a shame people go straight to pest control versus, um, you know, humane solutions like this or just prevention, so. Well, a lot of times they're not even solving the problem. I right. mean, I've had people that they've got, you know, the, the, the pest control guy coming out and setting mice bait stations. Mm -hmm. And how long have you had these bait stations there? Maybe 10 years. Well, he obviously didn't solve the problem if you still have mice. Right. So the, you don't have a mouse problem. You have a hole in your house. That's why you have a mouse problem. So you patch up the holes that solves the problem permanently. Uh, I had a lady I was talking to a couple of years ago and she was calling me about foxes or something. In the course of the conversation, she just happened to mention, she said, you know, uh, you know, my husband and I have been trapping squirrels for the last eight years. I said, well, why are you doing that? And she said, well, they keep getting into our roof. And I said, have you ever patched a hole? She said, no. And I explained to her that she's gonna be trapping squirrels until she dies <laughs> and then you're still gonna have squirrels. You're not gonna get rid of them. Yeah. So there really is a lot we can do then um, prevention-wise. Yeah, chimney caps, that's another thing. Yeah. Chimney caps are very important, especially this time of year. Oh, you know, yes. It's late March and raccoons are getting ready to have babies. And uh, when we see a hollow tree, we cut it down. And to a raccoon, that's where they like to have their babies. So sure. instead we build chimneys, which is like an artificial hollow tree. Makes and sense. they do like to have their babies down in chimneys. And then it's awfully hard for those little guys to get out sometimes. Well, the so. little guys can't. The mom right. will get out, and that's where we run into problems, too, because they can be evicted. I mean, I use methods that I use to get the mother to move and mm -hmm. take the babies, but then we also get the people that start a fire. And oh. They don't realize the mother can get out and take one baby, and the rest of the baby's baked. Right. You know, oh, so we run into that awful. every once in a while. I'm sure. So, so that brings up a good point, actually, <laughs> because... Um, you know, oftentimes wildlife rehabilitators have to deal with the aftermath of problems like that. Uh, uh, homeowners taking it upon themselves to um, evict a parent and not realizing there's still babies in the attic or, um, like you said, lighting a fire and, and then babies get injured and burned and things of that nature. So what can we as wildlife rehabilitators do to help educate the public? Because oftentimes we then get called with these orphans um, after a parent has been trapped and relocated, or a parent has been killed, or um, you know babies are, are sealed in a home after the, the parent goes away. So what can we do to be better um, educators? Well, I think just the community, and the wildlife rehab community in general, mm -hmm. needs to do what they can to educate the public, because a lot of times we get the calls after the fact. Right. I mean, because I get those calls too, where somebody says, oh, we relocated a raccoon three days ago, and now we got five baby raccoons in the garage. You know, and the do-it-yourselfers are dangerous. I mean, if somebody's going to be a do-it-yourselfer and they're going to be doing drywall or they're working on the car, that's fine. But when you're dealing with a living being, the do-it-yourselfers can be really scary. You know, and the trappers do it too. I think that a lot of the animals that rehabbers get 
uh, come from either a homeowner with a trap or they hire a trapper. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the trappers, I mean, I've had people that hire a trapper and the trapper comes out and traps the raccoon and takes off. Then when they find out there's babies, the trapper doesn't want anything to do with it. He just says, your problem, not mine. Well, and you made a good point last time we got together too, um, is oftentimes these quote unquote humane trappers will, will, will trap an animal, um, either an adult or the orphans, and then take it to a wildlife rehabilitator thinking they're doing a good thing, but that doesn't necessarily solve the problem either and can actually add to the problem, don't you think? Well, it, it adds to the problem and basically, I remember, oh, this has, got, this has got to be 30 years ago, there was a pest control guy and he had, I think it was a baby squirrel, I can't remember what it was, and he called me up and says, I got a baby squirrel, you know, we trapped the mother, blah, 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 and so he wanted to bring me this baby squirrel, so I said, okay, I'll take the baby squirrel. And that guy started showing up at my house three or four times a week with a baby something. He was just, he used me as a dumping ground. Right. And that's the problem that rehabbers are going to have when they start taking, because I've talked to rehabbers around the country that say, oh, this guy, this trapper we know, he's great because he right. brings us all the babies. Well, he's not great. He's just dumping his mistakes off on you. Right. He doesn't have to worry about doing the job right. If he does the job wrong and messes something up, he can dump the babies on you. And he makes a whole bunch of money and it costs you thousands of dollars. Right, yeah, you know, so. no, that's, that's the, the point I was hoping you would bring up. So what can, we, what can we do as a wildlife rehab community then? Do we just say no? You or know, do it, we... it's painful, but yeah. yes, that's one way to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of times now when I, because I still, you know, I mm -hmm. still get rehab calls and I will get some of the trappers that'll call me up and go, oh, we just orphaned a bunch of raccoons, can you take them? And I tell them, no, I can't, I mm -hmm. cannot take them. I'm not here to fix up your mistakes. Do you, yeah. do you worry then what happens to those orphans? I do. Or, I do. You know, but you're putting your foot down and you're doing what is, you feel is, that, is best. You know, it's like something I learned a long time ago. You try and save everything, but you can't. Yeah, you can't. And can. so on one of these things, like again, you know, I, I've just seen it too many times and not just from my experience, but talking with other rehabbers around the country that once you t start taking orphaned animals that these guys orphan, they they will just start dumping on you. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a shame. It's really not cool. But, that's the way it is. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an important point, and, and I agree with you that, that you can't save them all, and sometimes the best thing you can do for the general population or for those orphans in the future is to say no. Yeah, yeah. So now that we've kind of talked about um, your methods and what makes a professional humane versus not humane, I'd love to know a little more about what methods you have used over the years and, and kind of what, have, what, has gotten to you, uh, what has gotten you to the point today um, to use the methods that you, you use. Well, most of it for me, like I didn't have anybody to learn from. Right. And when I first started doing wildlife control, I was trapping and relocating. And then the science started coming in showing that relocation is not a good thing. And about that time I was doing a lecture and uh, at the back of the room, they had like a display booth set up with all kinds of bird deterrents and things like that. And there was a one-way door there. And I looked at it and I thought this, you know, to me it was like a eureka moment, but when I was a kid, one of our neighbors taught us how to make a rabbit trap, the same principle oh, using sure. angled doors. And it was like, why didn't I think of this? This is, this is perfect, you know? And so I went home and made my own one-way door just using one by half inch welded wire and a two by four and a hammer. And I tried using it on a couple of jobs and it worked and it worked perfect. So then I bought a sheet metal break and now I make my own one-way doors. But um, it's just, um, you know, the one-way door ends up being probably the primary thing that I use. But it's just like a lot of the trappers will say, oh, you can't use a one-way door during baby season. 
like, oh, but you can trap? No, you can't do that right. neither. So you can't, you, you have to be really careful during baby season, no matter what you do. And so like right now, um, like I've been using one-way doors for raccoons mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit in the last month and a half, uh, but I won't use them starting right about now because they could be given birth as we speak. It's, mm -hmm. it's really that close. And so um, the one-way doors are my primary method. Some animals are easier to deal with than others. You know, like if you've got squirrels in an attic, they give birth twice a year, so you've got to be basically paranoid about six months out of the year with squirrels. Um, <clears throat> birds are starting to nest, but they don't have babies yet, so you can kind of destroy the nest, get them out, you know, especially if they're vet, vet, uh, denning or, I'm sorry, nesting in a, like a dryer vent. They'll get into things like that. And so I try and use, you know, I try and use a, a very, I would say a, a natural method first not using any devices. Like for instance, numerous times I've had raccoons up in attics and I go up in the attic and just chase them around for two minutes and they run out and I patch up the hole and I'm mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. I've had mothers with babies in an attic and you get up there and you talk to the mother for a little bit, you take their picture, you go back the next day and they're gone. So sometimes it's really simple. And then other times I advance and you know I have other methods that I take. And a lot of that is also educating the homeowner mm -hmm. because you'll have one homeowner that's got raccoons in their chimney and they're like, well, you know, if they're going to be gone in eight or ten weeks, why don't we just leave them there, and that's fine. You have other people that, oh my God, there's a raccoon in the chimney, and it's got to get out of there now, gotcha. and they're freaking out. So it has to go along with what the customer is willing to put up with. So that's so do you, do you think the best thing to do is wait if the owners are willing to? That's to what I try and especially chimney. Mm -hmm. In chimney, I usually tell people, because a lot of times when people call me, they've already called several people, and they'll go, we talked to a trapper, and they talked about rabies, and they talked about fleas, and they talked about things. They always give you all the negative to try and scare you, which is not cool. And there's very rarely a problem leaving raccoons in a chimney, and I let the people know, and I let them know what potential problems could be. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, the mom could go out to eat and get hit by a car. Sure. Now they got a bunch of babies that are going to die in a chimney if somebody doesn't get them out. Mm -hmm. But if they leave them, like I tell them at some point, mom's gonna get tired of nursing and she's taking them out that's the way the process works with raccoons you know and so most people that I talk to uh, are willing to do that and then you have the people that don't want to do that and then they say well how much does it cost to get them out and then when you tell them how much it's gonna cost then all of a sudden they get really humane and say oh okay well maybe we'll wait for and it's I tell funny them, how that happens yeah and I tell them you can leave them I say you know you don't have to think about it now I say, you know, the babies are probably only a couple of weeks old. Let it go for a couple of weeks. If it's driving you nuts, we can always get them out. But if you can wait them out, that's the best thing. Once they're out, give me a call. We'll put a chimney cap on so they don't come back next year and we're done. Very cool. Now, at a, at a conference I went to recently, we, we learned about one-way doors, of course, and um, a lot about um, reuniting boxes, right. um, both for squirrels and raccoons. Do you have any experience using those, and how well have they worked for you? Yeah, I... Fortunately, I don't need to use them a lot okay. because the way that I evict the animal, my job is to get mom to leave and take the babies with them. Oh, okay. And so most of the time I can do that. When they can't, uh, sometimes I use a makeshift box. Mm -hmm. Like for something like squirrels, I can just take a cardboard box and you have to be real careful because you need to put it where the entry is. And so the, the way I've done it before is if you know the mom is not there, then you can put the babies outside in a box right next to where the hole was because I've now patched up the okay. hole. Or I put in a, if I'm not sure if the mother's out, I put in a one-way door so that if she's in the attic, she can get out. When she gets out, her babies are right there in a box. And of course, if the babies are really small little pinkies, they can't 
you know, keep themselves warm. And so you've got a problem that they, if they're going to stay out overnight, they're not going to survive. So you want to try and do that early in the day, you know, and then hope it's not a day where it's five degrees out, you know, things like that. So I try and get the mother to move and take the babies out. A lot of times with squirrels, I can convince people to wait till the mother starts taking them out because like when I call people on average, they'll say, yeah, we've been hearing noise up there for the last four months. Hmm. And I go, okay, well, the baby squirrels are now two months old. They're probably going to be out within about a month. So is another month going to make a big difference? Right. You know, and so a lot of times people are willing to wait. And so right. I try and do what's best for the animal, also taking into consideration what's best for the homeowner. But I right. try and educate the homeowner so that they can make the best decision. You know, and you know, I just like they have to make a decision, but there's certain areas I won't go. I'm not going to trap. I'm definitely not going to kill. You know, that type of thing. And so most people are pretty understanding about it. Okay. You know? In your experience, when when and if you do have to reunite um, the babies with the with the mother, is there a certain time frame that you have to do it in? Well, you want to do it the sooner the better. Right. I would say if it's getting past two or three days, you're okay. getting to the point where they're probably orphaned. You okay. know, um, you know. With raccoons, I've actually got some raccoon nesting boxes that are made for raccoons, mm -hmm. and um, I've had them for geez, probably 15 years, and I'm trying to think of it. I think I used them once or twice, because I didn't always carry them in the truck all the time, because they're pretty big. And so a lot of times, what I'll do is just use a carrier. Mm -hmm. And um, matter of fact, I did one up in Broomfield here, was it two years ago? It was an office building on the other side of the highway over there. And um, no, where was it? It was up this way. And uh, the... Um, uh, raccoon mother got into an air conditioning system and got into, um, uh, she was living in the ductwork, but the ductwork was soft, the soft ductwork, and she broke out of that and got loose in the ceiling of the building, and it was 38,000 square foot oh, of wow. building, and I was trying to get her out of there for weeks, probably about two or three weeks, and we couldn't get her. Finally, somebody in the next office building over heard something in the wall. And I went out there, she was in the wall, and the maintenance guys were there. Well, I cut the wall open, got the babies out, got mom out, and then uh, there was a little pond in the office park where mm -hmm. this happened, and I took them over there, and uh, the mom got out of the carrier while I was setting everything up. She got out, she broke the carrier and got out, and took off, and I put the babies in a carrier, and I leave the door open, but just took, put a rock in front of it. Mm -hmm. And I came back a while later, and the rock was moved, and the door was open, and the babies were gone. So she came and took them. And so a lot of times I'll just use a carrier, uh, especially if it's in the daytime, and you've just evicted a raccoon, she's gonna be back within a few minutes to an hour after you're gone. Mm -hmm. And so I like the idea of just taking that carrier. Sometimes I'll just even put it up against a wall, with a door up against a wall and a rock against the back of it, so that the babies can't push on the door and push it open. Okay. And then the mom will just kind of turn the carrier around and open it up and take yeah, it out. Yeah, it's amazing the instinct. Most mothers, not just raccoons, but, but squirrel mothers, um, skunk mothers for that matter, what an instinct they have to just come back for those babies. Well, it, it's, it's, it's like they can't help themselves. Every animal. Um, I mean, a human mother is going to do the same thing. They're no different than we yeah, are. You know, yeah, they, no, they want to take care of their babies. You know? Absolutely. So... Earlier in the interview, you mentioned working with a group of individuals um, to try and um, create a database, for lack of a better term, of humane wildlife operators. Um, that group happens to be um, one of the Rocky Mountain Wildlife Alliance's other partner, Animal Health Now. Right. So can you tell me a little more about um, your relationship with Animal Health Now and what you guys are trying to um, create? Yeah. Um... You know, I've, I've been working with them kind of since they started, just on helping them with ideas on the wildlife side of it, because, uh, you know, I've been doing it for a long time, but 
Uh, yeah, right now what we're trying to do, because they added rehabilitation. At first it was for injured animals, uh, more like dogs and cats, and then it became for injured wildlife too, and they started listing wildlife rehabilitators. And then um, they decided to start doing humane wildlife control operators because it's like, in, my perception, like from when I used to rehab, you know, my wife and I used to do about 250 to 300 animals a year, but with our humane solutions, helping people with wildlife problems, it's down 10 to 15,000 a year. So we can help a lot of people by doing that. And so I think Animal Help Now realized the same thing. The problem is, is that most people don't know. They just call up a, you know, a pest control guy, for lack of a better word, and, um, you know, they think that they're all humane. I know back in the day when I first got into doing this, we were actually looking for somebody to refer to and we started calling some of the trappers up and we quickly realized that yeah, these guys are not real humane. Right. And so uh, what we're trying to do now is make it so that if you are anywhere in the country and you have a problem with wildlife, you can use animal help now in order to find a humane wildlife control operator in your area. The biggest problem is, is that there's not that many humane wildlife right. control operators out there. So like I said, I have talk to people and tell them, well, if you're gonna hire this guy, here's the questions you should ask, here's what you should do, here's what you should look for. And, and what are some of those questions? Well, the main one would be, the first thing I would ask them is, do you trap? And they go, yes. And they're gonna say yes, because that's what they usually do. And you, you ask them if they can do a one-way door, uh, do an exclusion rather than trapping. And if they say, no, we can't do that, then you don't want to hire that guy. Gotcha. You know, so trapping, like trapping is not humane. I mean, people always say, oh, it's a humane trap. There's no such thing as a humane trap. I've seen squirrels and prairie dogs die in cage traps. They're not humane, trapping, doesn't matter what kind of trap it is, they're not humane, you know? And so, um, you know, you wanna, you wanna hire somebody that's gonna be doing an exclusion, and they also have to know, you know, is it baby season? And that's a biggie right there, because, you know, I've had some of the trappers that, you know, they, they'll go out there and they'll trap a mother and then when the babies die and the people are complaining about the smell, they charge them extra money to go out and right. cut holes in the wall to pull out the dead ones. And it's like, uh, not good, you know, so. Do you know if there's any movement right now kind of in the animal control field for, um, like is there continuing education that um, animal control officers take part in? Um, on, on like a national by scale, animal control or? you mean like the basically uh, like the dog dog and cat people well maybe, maybe i should have just stuck with the um humane wildlife uh control operator the humane wildlife control operators they do put on a lot of classes okay. um and again i you know they do believe in trapping mm -hmm. you know uh they they do believe in um you know urban shooting you know, mm -hmm. so shooting deer in urban areas, shooting coyotes in urban areas. Right now, a big thing that's real popular is pellet guns. They use pellet guns on coyotes. Uh, the pellet guns are not the little pellet guns we grew up with. They're like a 22, right. Right, bigger, oh. you know. And so, um, you know, so they do have continuing education. I actually went to one of their classes last week, mm -hmm. you know, and it was more of a conference, but there were people there that were educating. And so, yeah, they, so they, they have different viewpoints mm -hmm. what I have you know okay. to them when there's a problem you solve the problem generally it's by killing the animal and I believe that the problem can be solved without killing the animal you know like like I tell people again like when they have a, a raccoon in their roof it's not the, the raccoon is not the problem the problem is you have a hole in your roof right and so <laughs> fix the hole in the yeah. roof and the problem solved all right well maybe in time you know the more we educate the public the more we educate ourselves as wildlife rehabilitators maybe there will be more of a push for a movement towards 
um, those humane methods as well. It is getting better. It Good. is getting better, and we're seeing it nationwide. I mean, Good. more and more people are trying to be more humane about that. And I've also had people that they call me up and they say, we've already talked to 10 different companies and we don't feel comfortable with them. And then when I tell them what I do, they go, oh, this sounds perfect, you know? And so people are looking for that option. And, you know, uh, it's like a lot of the, I'm trying to think the right word, like the consumptive use of wildlife, mm-hmm. you know, killing wildlife is going away. Even like the, the numbers of hunters are dropping. The number of trappers is dropping. This stuff is going away. And so people do are tending to want to be more humane. And a lot of that's because we're better educated now. I mean, you know, we know more about animals than we've ever known. Science is teaching us more about animal behavior, animal emotions, the way they think. Uh, A lot of the young kids growing up with Animal Planet and all this kind of stuff. And so our views on wildlife is changing for the better. It's just not going to change by next weekend. Yep, (laughs) it won't change overnight, that's for sure. definitely takes time. So I always like to end on kind of a, a, a fun story or something from your experience that is touched you over the years or or something along those lines so do you have a story from your your uh, 30 years of doing this that you can share with us well, there's a whole bunch of yeah, them, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, one of my favorites and I like this one I use this every once in a while when I do a speaking engagement uh, because it shows the dedication of a mother and then also the the lack of aggression by a raccoon because general consensus by the average person is that raccoons are really aggressive animals and if you corner one they're going to attack and I learned years ago that if you corner one they might charge you but they have no intention of attacking if you just stand there and look at it they just kind of go oh sorry and they turn around and walk away I've never had a raccoon attack me I've been bitten by them but whenever I've been bitten it's me grabbing them so I was the aggressor I deserved it but one of my favorite stories um, and this happened probably about 15 years ago and it was up in uh, a town outside of Boulder and this woman called me up and she had a mother raccoon and three babies in her kitchen. Oh, wow. And so um, I went driving up there. And when I got there, I started talking to the lady and found out that she had been born in this house. She lived there until she got married. Then her and her husband lived in the house. Then her husband died and she still lived in this house. So she remembers the house when she was a little kid and they had a wood-burning stove in the kitchen. But when they took the wood-burning stove out, they just patched the pipe up. They had, it looks like a metal mm-hmm. pie plate. They just yeah. put over the pipe and um, that blocked the pipe off. Well, apparently that thing popped out and the babies fell into her kitchen and then the mother jumped into the kitchen to be with her babies. Well, <clears throat> the woman didn't explain to me she was also a hoarder and she was kind of a neat hoarder. It wasn't like everything was piled up in messes, but the whole house was boxes and bags stacked up about shoulder high with paths from room to room. So when I got out there, the mother raccoon and the three babies were sitting in a corner next to one of those old sewing machines with the foot pedals. Mm -hmm. And so when I went walking over there, the mother and one baby kind of took off. And I grabbed the other two babies and I got everything set up. There was a window in the kitchen and I opened the window and I put a board on the outside like a ramp and I put the two babies in the box. And then I had to find the mother and the other baby. And I looked around this house for probably over an hour. And I don't even know what the rooms were I was in because the rooms were so filled with stuff. And I was trying to move stuff and move bags and move boxes and I could not find her. So I walked back in the kitchen and I'm really frustrated. And all of a sudden the mom takes off across the kitchen, but she's along a wall. And the baby that was with her decides to take the shortcut and go like diagonally to like the closest distance to the mom. And when the baby did that, I reached out and grabbed the baby. And as soon as I grabbed that baby, I heard this really blood-curdling scream, this raccoon squeal. 
And the raccoon came running at me, and I was backing up through the kitchen while the raccoon was trying to climb up my legs. And the first thought in my mind was, I'll go ahead and get this all done, then I'll go to the hospital and get stitched up, because I thought I was going to get hurt. And I was backing up through the kitchen, backing up. She's screaming, trying to cry on my legs. I'm taking my knees and trying to push her off of me. I turn around and put the baby in the box. The minute I put the baby in the box, the screaming stopped. She jumped up on the windowsill. And when she did that, I pushed her out of the window and the board was there. So she just landed on the board and I closed the window. She came running back and hit the window screaming. Oh, wow. And so I picked up the box of babies and there was a, a big cottonwood tree in the woman's yard right off the side yard. And so I took the box out there, set it down at the tree and then yelled at the mom. She was still at the window screaming and I yelled at her and she turned around and looked at me and I backed off. And then she came walking over and she grabbed the babies and she started taking them up into the tree. Mm -hmm. And that one there just impressed me because when I was all done, I checked and I did not have a single scratch on me. She could have torn my legs to shreds. She could have ripped my kneecaps off because she had the power to do that. She didn't, all she wanted was her babies. Aww. And that's, she just only, only had her mind on her babies. Didn't want nothing to do with me. I was just, uh, you know, just there. But that story, that just impressed me because it showed the dedication she had. I mean, here you got a little 20-pound raccoon facing a 190-pound guy, and she's trying to climb up me just to get her baby back, you know? And it's like, wow. But the, and the dedication, I mean, like, just watching her with the babies because me and the lady, we sat in the, the house watching out the door, and we watched her taking the babies up Aww. in the tree, and it was like, wow, this is very cool. It, yeah, it is so. amazing, like I said, that, that instinct and, and that absolute dedication for their oh, babies. Yeah. They, they are just like us in that way. Where yeah, like I tell that, them, the only thing, they're just a different package. Yeah. Like the same, same emotion, wow. same thing, you know? And, you know, we say we're smarter than the animals, but I have to question that sometimes. Oh, I question <laughs> it too, actually. <laughs> Oh, awesome, Jack. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful talking yeah. with you. I, anytime I get a chance to sit and talk with you and learn from you, it, it, it's a treat. So thank you so much for oh. coming up here and talking with me today and, and teaching our listeners about truly humane methods oh, and sure. what we can do as professionals. So thank you again. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, if, if anybody that's listening to this has a problem, feel free to give me a call and can do what I can do to help out. And, and where can they call you? Uh, Urban Wildlife Rescue. It's uh, 303 three four zero four nine one one perfect and we'll put this information on our facebook page and our website as well so all right thanks again jack and thanks you thank you all for listening all right, thank you. if listeners would like to share this podcast it is free and available for everyone you can find this podcast and others on our website apple podcasts spotify google play and more Tell us what you think of our show by using the hashtags MyWildLifestyle and MyWildLifestyleRadio. If you would like more information on this topic or the accompanying handout for this podcast, they can be found in our resource center and on our blog. Also stay informed and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you all for joining us for My Wild Lifestyle Radio. I look forward to bringing you more topics in the future soon.